0: Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Hey everybody, welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast. Thank you everyone for coming out to our uh, special podcast this week because we're not at the normal time slot because I'm interviewing someone finally uh, from Australia. So it's, uh, it's a much more reasonable time. Uh, to do a podcast, um, especially one that you drink in. However, we're not drinking tonight, and there's a good reason for that. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to uh, give content warning uh, for the themes of sexual abuse and institutional corruption. But feel free to ask any questions, and we'll get uh, Russell will do his best to try and answer them at the end. Uh, just make sure you tag uh, Deep Drinks. So without further ado, I'll introduce Russell. Our guest today is Russell Manser. Russell spent 23 years in prison after a series of bank robberies and miscellaneous criminal activities. Russell was a victim of institutionalised sexual abuse, being jailed with some of Australia's worst sex offenders, despite only just turning 17. The sexual trauma Russell experienced led him to cope with recreational drugs, especially, um, eventually leading to a $1,500-a-day a heroin addiction. Russell has since been rehabilitated and now runs a Voice of a Survivor, which aims to help victims of institutional abuse find justice through the legal system, as well as advocating for social and political change. The Voice of a Survivor has now um, helped over 16,000 people <laughs> tell their stories and begin the process for justice and healing. Welcome, Russell Manser. Well, I thank th- you so much. I thank
1: you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Your story is absolutely fascinating. Um, And I will promote a little bit at the end, but I did also want to mention that you have a book about your um, journeys that that you've got there for sale. Unfortunately, my copy didn't arrive in time, so I couldn't – I I didn't get a chance to read it all yet, but um, it's a a wild ride. I've heard some of your stories on ABC and – and podcasts and things like that it's uh it's incredible um what you've gone through and um yeah
1: yeah I oh, look you know and, and look it's been a tumultuous journey but um the, in, in saying that someone said it to me tonight and I said you know but it shaped me who I am today so you know as much as there was a lot of bad things that happened to me um you know oh, look, I look I like who I am today I um I no longer hate myself and I um, I definitely have some self-value and self-worth and self-belief and um I guess, you know, the part of that part of where that comes from is, is, uh, you know, healing from trauma and and how you heal trauma, you heal trauma with love. So in, you know, in my healing journey, I've received a lot of love that's, you know, that's brought me back to, you know, to wellness and, um, and out of that, you know, I've got, I've got my self-belief back and, um, I'm in a really, really good spot, you know what I mean? I, I like people say, like, I, I wish a lot of them things didn't happen to me. But, you know, the fact of the matter is I've accepted they do. I don't, um, I'm not carrying around resentments and anger and everything about what happened to me. I've, I've made peace with it all. And I'm in a, um, uh, uh, of, um, you know, of, um, yeah. I'm
0: I'm you know, like a better really place.
1: Cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And um and you've got a you've got a lovely partner as well. I've been talking to her over email, just organising all of this. Um, yeah. I, I, saw, I saw on one of your TikToks, you said that you're punching way above. Um, and I'm the same. My wife's stunning. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. we have that in common.
1: Sure. Yeah. No, life's good, mate. I I I mean, you know, I pinch myself. I, I I'm I, I look I I've got a lot of gratitude. I wake up and I do my gratitude list, five things, and you know, and I pinch myself at how good life is today. It didn't always used to be this way. I, I, you know, I lived in a lot of pain for a long, long, long time, but uh, I don't live like that these days. And that's by choice. You know, I, I, I can, and that's the name of my visit business, the voice of a survivor. Can That's not voice of a victim, you know, mm. you know, it's not voice of a victim. It's, um, it's voice of a survivor cause I'm a survivor man. And, um, you know, there's. I think there's that saying. I love it. And they said they they tried to bury me, but I was a seed, and um, you know, I grew out of it. And
0: um, oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. So, so we're drinking Virgin Mojitos tonight. Well, we were planned to. You've got a Virgin Diet Coke. So um, oh, no, I've, I've got actually a...
1: switched. I've went to a, a ginger beer, like an organic, <laughs> oh, nice. an organic. I'm really
0: uptown now,
1: so I've went to an organic ginger beer, which it's, I thoroughly um... recommend
0: yeah that's awesome that's awesome it's uh because you're sober and you and how long have you been sober for now uh
1: clean it's and sober quite a, look you know what i look i have had a couple of slip ups and i look if i have one beer i'll call that a relapse and i'll i'll call yeah. it a lapse, you know i'll just call it a lapse because i you know I, I i think that my biggest asset these days is how brutal brutally honest i am with myself and um I've about had, I've had a slip like you know i think i'm back to about two years or something like that and um you know, I I, mean, I was 12 and a half years clean. I was 12 and a half years clean and sober. And I thought I could, that's when the two Tui's Dry first came out. And I thought I could have one of them. that, 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 beer, them beer commercials stalked me and romanticized me that I could have uh, Tui's Extra Dry because I've never had one of them before. The first time I drank one, I drank one. And then I drank a carton the next week. And then, man, I went on this trajectory of, you know, I, I can't have one row of chocolate, mate. I, I smashed a whole block of, one
0: of them. <laughs> Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Uh it's just um it is funny. I'm 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 glad we're I mean, it it is a uh it, it is a Thursday night, so it's probably good that it's not a non-virgin mojito. Um, but it's just funny yeah. that the one the one night that um deep drinks is at nighttime for me, where we're on sober drinks, which is which is great. But it's awesome to hear that you've you know you've pulled yourself together um through that and are you part of the NA or AA program or anything yeah, yeah.
1: I, I'm, I'm a big part of NA I, I was very blessed to um meet a guy who came in to do an NA meeting at Parramatta jail in 1987 in Parramatta jail he planted a few seeds in me and he just he said mate you don't have to suffer you can live a great life and have heaps of fun and and, and a great life and he said you don't have to drink or drug and uh, I didn't believe it but he proved to me that you can and um that guy's still in my life today. That guy's still in my life today. He came into paramount of Jail, and you know he's he's still a part of my life. He's someone that I bounce things off, and he's also an yeah. extremely successful businessman these days. And so, um, look, you know, I've spent more time sober and clean than I have not. To, like, I, I if I pick up a drug or a drink, I get destroyed pretty quick. Because yeah, man, I get man, I don't know how to stop, and um. And how I stop is normally end up back like in jail. And, yeah, um, so that's why I don't pick up because I, I don't like jail. It's overrated, and um,
0: no, it yeah. truly is. It, it truly like um, you know, um, I've had I've got family members who have um, who have alcoholics and you know have issues with substance abuse and things like that. And um, I've seen how I can like tear, tear people and families apart, especially if you've got that personality where you, you can't you know it, you, you you eat a tro- block of chocolate or you you know you drive down the street and you get a second block you know yeah uh, that's what happens I mean. yeah it's like um I'm,
1: yeah and that's what i'd rather do i'd rather i'd rather have a good life than 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 a good night and um you know i would rather like create i'd rather have memories than uh a blackout because that's when well, i if i drink that's how it's gonna happen and you know what and i i go out with like my you know any girl i've ever been with they've drank, drank it's not it's not an issue it's just it's just not for me you know and um, mm. and i'm happy i'm happy and i, I accept that it's it's man, don't get me wrong i can on a hot summer day i'll see for oh, a freezing cold peroni or something like that i go oh i wouldn't mind one of them but you know man, i'll get the same out of a mineral water so you know yeah I'll get, so you know what it's all good and you uh, know and, and i don't ever feel out of place by not drinking or not drugging or anything like that i you know i think it's um for me i just it's just about knowing my strengths and weaknesses and that and you know and and that brutal honesty with myself like i'm never going to be able to have one of them you know and people go oh self-will I'll tell you something about self-will and being an addict take six box of laxatives and get self-will to stop you from shitting yourself
0: <laughs> yeah exactly Yeah,
1: because my, my addiction is way stronger than laxatives let me tell you yeah, I've heard. Money. Yeah,
0: I've heard someone in the in the NA program or, or AA program say say something. It said something really profound to me. One one time, they said um, that they've got an they have an allergic reaction to to alcohol and recreational drugs, and that is and when they have one, they can't stop. They just got to keep they got to keep well, doing it. And
1: that uh, every I have an allergic reaction every time I'm taking my break out in handcuffs. yeah that's that's so good that's so
0: good Uh, i had a i know another guy i knew i knew another guy in the program and he um he he uh he said that his high power was a was a booze truck was a truck Mm. he's like Mm. no it was just normal truck sorry and he said because it it drove past um you know 20 bottlos every day and then go into one and he said that he couldn't do that so the truck was his high power i thought that was hilarious yeah um It's, so, it's funny
1: how people
0: in the program
1: sort of have their own analogies for for themselves, and you know, and and, and it's it's, a, it's amazing that an addict or an an, an alcoholic can be so creative, you know. Yeah. But you know, I, I see it in business. I, I look, you know, I I, I got to, my brothers are real big you know, a business networker and a ring like, and he took me to this business networking meeting one day, and there was all these really wealthy business people, and, and my brother said, get up and tell your story. And I just, and I didn't think there was much of a story to tell And I said, oh, I used to be a heroin addict and a bank robber, and they're just looking at, like, nudging me. and my brother's going, yeah. <laughs> and I said, but I've got the same traits you guys have got. And I said, I'm an obsessive compulsive, you know. I'm. Mean, you guys are obsessed about making your business a success, you know what I mean? And if you weren't obsessed with it, if you were half obsessed, it wouldn't be a success story. And I said, you know, and I used to be obsessed about getting on the drugs and drink. And um, they're mm-hmm. looking at me and going, it's the same trait. Believe me, it's the same trait, just different movement. And um, I said, but when, I get, when I'm clean and sober, I still have that trait and I apply it to business. I can't go wrong. It's like mm-hmm. with the voice of survival. We, you know, we started humble beginnings. That started on a barbecue table in Coffs Harbor in a one bedroom flat. Now I employed. 21 people. I've got 16,000 clients. I've worked with 30 different nine, 39 different law firms in five years. I mean, that had to be an obsessive trait to get to that.
0: Yeah, it's it's incredible how you've you've turned your life around. And I've been following your TikTok for for many years. Maybe um, for those who don't, a lot of the people who watch this channel are from America, so yeah. um they don't know. They probably don't know your story. Uh, they haven't seen it on the news or anything like that. But could you like give us like Tell a bit of your story from, like, even from like how you first end up in the boys' home when you were sure. very young.
1: I grew up in a place called Mount Druitt. It's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from there. And um, and um, and all my heroes were were criminals, like bank robbers, and and, and the criminals in Mount Druitt were treated like return war heroes. When they got out of jail, it was like oh the father was pushing his daughter out there, Cheryl going, that hey, you want to marry a boy like that? You know, and, um, and really, uh, yeah, hundred percent, you know, and, um, and he's the type of guy he will give you a good life for six months, every five years. And at least you'll get some memories. And, um, so, you know, I grew up with my heroes being pretty, in particularly bank robbers and they had the best cars, the best clothes and the best girls, and they looked like they are having fun. And, and I wanted to be one. And, um, long story short, it wasn't long. By the time I was 14, 15 years old, I ended up in a boy's home and, um, the boys' I the boys' home I had was you know was uh, we, we were, there was some it was the subject of a sixty minute story over here in Australia and uh, it was uh, they had prolific sexual and physical abuse going on there and I didn't escape that and um, so I went to that boys' home and I came home pretty well scarred and a, a massive void but I also come home more educated from crime it was like a college of crime and um, about a year later so- I got.
0: Yeah. Is, a, is a boy's home, is that like a juvenile detention in America? Yeah, juvenile, is that the same thing? Uh, yeah, same same thing.
1: And, yeah. um, and then, uh, you know, a year later after getting out of the juvenile detention center, I, I stole a Porsche, a uh, 930 twin turbo Porsche. And um, I got in a police chase and um, I got arrested for that. And then I went before a, a, char- a children's court judge and, and the judge said I oh, sentenced me to 12 months and stipulated to be served in an adult jail to deter me from re- future reoffending. Well, let me tell you, Judge Nostradamus got that one wrong because I ended up spending 23 years in prison. And um, when I went to prison that time, I was housed with some of the sexual, the worst sexual degenerates in Australia at the time, sex event. Like they put us in a protection wing for our own protection, the worst. And um, once again, the abuse took place. And uh, but this time, I was introduced to heroin, and I got a taste for heroin, and um, and heroin numbed all the shame and and all that, and all the pain that I was going through, and and you know, I just began a trajectory of of uh, more serious crime.
0: Yeah. So, so, for, so is is protected custody in prison? Is that where they put people who are likely to get killed um, mm-hmm. if they're out in the main? main area, the main wing. Yeah. So
1: it's like uh, yeah, for sure, because of r- really horrible crimes, like, you know, in, in the case of the bloke who sexually abused I me, mean, he was a negrophiliac and um a negrophiliac's a person who has sex with dead bodies. And um and there was pedophiles that was just there would have been hundred blokes in that wing and seventy of them would have been pedophiles. And um so it's not And you're like, there
0: you're there just as a, like just turned seventeen. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's just it wasn't a place for a kid to be. It wasn't a place for the faint-hearted, and um, I guess it was like feeling land to the lines, you know. And um, mm.
0: you
1: know, I, I don't ever think it should be the position of a sex offender to deter children from future reoffending, and that's what the basis of it really ended up being. And um, I'm pretty sure that judge knew what would have happened and why he was sending me to that in, in a particular that place and he knew and um uh it was really really sad and um you know i ended up in jail as an 18 year old and um at this time in a mainstream prison and, and i've done my apprenticeship there as a bank robber I, I i sought out the advice of a lot of bank robbers and um uh um i sought out the um the advice of a lot of bank robbers with intentions of getting out and being a bank robber
0: right so initially why do you initially get, get go into a boys' home? Like, what was the initial crime? I, I stole a car, I was
1: in a, a police chase. Like, oh, look, I, I was one of those kids that was car mad, you know, from a very, very young age. I wanted a hotted up car, and so I was car mad. All I wanted to do was drive a car and I wanted to drive it fast, and um, you know, like most young kids, and um, uh, with no you know, no respect for the law or, or the rules, road, road rules, or anything. Like all I knew is I wanted to jump in cars, drive them fast, spur, do burnouts with, with the tires, and all that sort of stuff, as young kids do, because it looks like fun, and I wanted to have fun, and um, that's what I did. I got in a car chase and um, ended up uh, as just the bomb of the car. Couldn't get away from any any police chase, and uh, so ended up. Uh, in a boys' home, which was uh, called Derek Boys' Home, west of Sydney. And uh, as I said, that's where the abuse really took place and it was just a horrible place. It, was, it wasn't it was for, It wasn't for, like it was just... And I, I really think it was government-sanctioned abuse and it sort of came out in the wash that it was.
0: So, okay, so in the Derek Boys' Home, is that where you were first sexually abused by... Yeah, yeah, by okay. staff. Yeah. And it was by the staff members there.
1: Yeah, yeah it was by the staff. Uh, and, and and it sort of came out in the wash. They were running a pedophile ring out of there too. So what was happening, people were getting sexually abused at the nighttime. And, you know, there was people in there that were sexually abusing kids that you'd never seen before in your life. And so, you know, they were obviously bringing them in to sexually abuse the kids from the streets, you know, so some sort of pedophile ring was happening out of there. So, yeah, it wasn't good
0: whoa so so was this in the 80s on the 90s early 80s yeah non- early 80s and
1: 1982 982 and so
0: was so when you say sexually abused was it was it um i mean and feel free not to you don't have to go into any details or anything but like on the spectrum of like being held down and raped
1: versus yeah, right like, that was right yeah it was right yeah, okay or three staff members at a time yeah
0: and that that to me is just crazy that yeah. that staff could be in that position that would would do but that was the
1: amount it was the amount of them they were all in on it they were all in on it it was like crazy it's like pedophiles paradise you know
0: that's so bizarre yeah it's so bizarre that like there wasn't one staff member that was like what the fuck is going on here but you I know what I mean I- like
1: yeah, I think it was, like, there, there was... Uh, I don't, that's what I think it was, government sanction, I think. Um, yeah. And there was old women that worked there, right? And they were called matrons. And you would think, you know, some old woman, you'd tell them and they'd say, oh, stop being a little lie, a little mongrel. And then they'd make it worse because they'd tell the perpetrator that you, you're sort of telling on them. And um, crazy. I
0: wonder, I wonder if it was, all- like, so horrific that they couldn't accept it, so they...
1: Yeah, well, it's come out in the
0: wash since. Uh, in,
1: in in 2013, uh, Prime Minister Julia Gillard introduced the Royal Commission the Institutional Response to the Child Sexual Abuse. It's all come out in the wash. And it was the subject of a 60-minute story um, a few years ago, What Happened at Dharic, the House of Horrors or something they called it. And I was just, it's funny how a TV show gets involved and people get charged. That's, that's the crazy bit about it, you know. Yeah. So that's That's what it took for 60 minutes to sort of expose it. And then the sex crime squad coming along and start charging. I think five or six officers got charged from it. A lot of them had died. Um, there's one still going to trial as we speak, but doing what all pedophiles do, pulling the sick thing. I'm too sick for this. I'm I'm too injured for it. You know,
0: geez. So, and Okay, so then you know, from from there, you 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 um rob another car when you get out of the boy's home, and you end up in like adult prison, um, jail, yes. um, and they put you in protection, I guess, because you're so young. Is that the reason yeah. they put you in protection? Yeah,
1: we're under we're under age. We weren't in in Australia. You've got to be eighteen years old to be in a mainstream prison, and um, so yeah, we're under age, and that's where they put us. And we were told we told you. Well, told us for our own protection, and um, it was crazy, man. It was so crazy. We would have been better. We would have been way safer in a mainstream prison without being surrounded by sex offenders because back in them days, all sex offenders were in protective custody.
0: Yeah. Okay, and so was it like uh, it wasn't the staff who were abusing you in the second instance? No, that was, was the
1: pedophiles. It was... Pedophile. It was um, it was like you know, sex offender, convicted sex offenders themselves.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. That's it's just. Is there any recourse if you're in that situation? Is there any recourse? Is there anything you can do if you're in prison or in jail and you're getting abused like that? Is there anything you can do? Well, thing, kill
1: him, and um, you know you'd have to kill him really because it's not going to stop the staff notice. Staff back then, the staff actually thought it was quite funny and uh, if you said anything if anyone tried to report anything to the staff that were like they were laughed off it's like yeah of course mate but they thought it was funny especially coming from a kid reporting it and their you know their response would be oh well that'll teach you from stealing cars won't it you know
0: yeah and then you know obviously if you're then snitching you're you'll get you know your you've got that on your name as well 100%. Which people could Yeah. And it'll be
1: another reason for people want to perpetrate violence upon you.
0: Right. So can you... So you're now... So you get out of prison, uh, obviously, at some stage, um, and you're uh, you're now addicted to heroin, and that builds up to a pretty big habit.
1: Yeah, well, I sort of... I
0: had a taste for heroin and um, I had a taste for it. And um, so I
1: I, I got out and... um, and I knew the layout. I knew where to score heroin because they tell you. And, and my mother, at this stage, had moved to a place called Liverpool, which is back then, Cabramatta in the western suburb of Sydney had a heroin um, epidemic. So I was right on it. I was right near it. So I'd only have to jump my back fence and I'd be, and, you know, a twenty-minute walk, and I'd be able to score heroin. And um, and that's what I did because, look, you know, at the end of the day, oh, I was. Uh, Emotionally suffering from serious trauma, I've been seriously traumatized by sexual abuse, and I had this massive void in me. I had this whole heap of shame, and the only time I I had any remission from it is when I was on heroin, and uh, that was the only time I I didn't feel all those horrible things. And man, and I was going to use as much heroin as I could to escape them feelings you know and them feelings were then that was a nightmare living in that nightmare so the only time i wasn't in that nightmare well i was under the influence of heroin and um and i won't stop it. i won't stopping. Mm. but i took before i went to the boys homes and that i didn't have that i was a pretty happy sort of go lucky kid
0: mm. so did does it take does it I don't know too much about heroin or about jail or prison or anything? I haven't been um <clears throat> to jail myself, I haven't even been arrested. It's override. Um it's overrated there, yeah don't I, it. I, I, it's I imagine like broch- so.
1: it's not like in the brochures it's a holiday and all that food. Yeah, I was right?
0: actually maybe we can maybe we can circle back because I, I wanted to ask you about that. Is what's some common misconceptions people have about prison or jail?
1: well you know often in the media it's there that's portrayed as you know being hotel or resort like things in the 23 years I, I i was i was in i never encountered any prison that resembled a resort or a hotel and if you stay in a hotel or a resort you know something that resembles you know what the prison mate you you are being robbed you you want your money back i'll tell you because um <laughs> no you are and i'm telling you so um I, I, look, I, I stay in a lot of hotels and the work I do, and I haven't come across one yet that resembled a prison. So, and that's that. And um, another misconception is you go in there and you get rehabilitated because that's a lot of shit. You don't go in there. It's, we live in punitive systems. You go in there to get punished, you know? And sometimes that punishment uh, supersedes the crime. Like, at the end of the day, the punishment be this. You've, you've had your liberty taken off you. You can't, look, you're confined to a certain space. Um, uh, you, you can't vote, you can't see your children, you, you can't engage in family stuff. And, uh, I think, I like, I think that's where the punishment should start, you know, should really finish. It doesn't need to be, you know, you have violence perpetrated on you by officers because they just want to be tough guys and stuff like that. Mm. So yeah.
0: what do you think about, like, if you could design, you, you know, the perfect, um, yeah jail like how how would you like so if we assume that our goal is to rehabilitate criminals Mm. and get them back for functional members of society um how would you what would you how would you do it
1: well first I'll give you an analogy I'll give you one analogy your car breaks down right you don't kick all the panels in smash all the windows and push it into your garage and pull it out in six months time and think it's going to be fixed Mm-hmm. What you do is you lift the bonnet up and you, and you have a look at what's under the bonnet. And in regards to, for, and when I and you, you, you could use the reference, you could use lifting that bonnet up analogy is, is um, you know, lifting up and working on trauma. I, 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 that's amazing what happened to me, for me personally, is when, when they got it right with me, they give me like, they identified I was suffering from serious trauma they give me trauma counselling, and it's amazing what come of it. Like they just, it was so simple. As soon as they got that right, it was like, pff, look at me now. Like today, I mostly, I, I I pay a little bit too much tax. Like their their investment in trauma counselling in me for me that was an investment because look what I like you know I employed twenty one people. I mostly, you know, I that was an yeah. investment. I look at sort of Norway and uh, who are the the who, Norway's got the lowest recidivism rate in the world, where uh, some of the American jails have got the highest. The American privatized system looks at as prisoners as an investment for mm. you know, industry, right? And um, but the Norwegians look at their prisoners their prisoners rehabilitation as an investment for when they get out and they be contributing fa- members of society. So two mm. ways to look at it, isn't it? Like the 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 private jail sort of stuff, or a private organisation makes the money, but the public make the money when you send someone out to be a, a law-abiding citizen and they pay tax.
0: But
1: hmm. so it's two different yeah. ways.
0: Yeah, you see, I, I was uh, you're hitting on all the questions I was excited to ask because for me the so for me the public system makes more sense. Uh, it it yeah, feels sure. feels funny. But I've got a friend who thinks that we should move to a private um, system, yeah. Yeah. and the reason he mentioned this was was because um, he I don't know he he studied some sort of um, criminology uh, at university, but yeah. it it he said that the cost of imprisonment in Australia is between like sixty one to one hundred and thirty six thousand dollars a year, and privatisation would cut that down. But there's still something to me that feels. He, th- he thinks there should be privatization with regulations, but I was but that still feels a bit funny to me. Yeah. Um, what what do you, what are your thoughts like, about a privatized? Look, I've system? been to
1: private jails. I've been to private jails, and um, one the food's better. Um, opportunities for education were a lot better because the problem is with the the public system is they get all this funding, and the prison officers think all that money should go to them. So instead of rehabilitation, like running courses or anything like that they start stamping their feet and doing strikes and everything like that until they get their own way. So the budget gets consumed on their wages. Like, mate, there's some unemployable people in them sort of jobs that should not be around human beings. They're just, they're not fit to be around other human beings. And, um, so that's another part of it. Or you've got these people that are so, um, like just got no qualifications got nothing, they just get in their job because it's an easy job to get into. They get in there full of resentments. Like, I'll give you an example. I, I was down at Goldman prison years ago and there was an officer there that was written, written notorious for ripping up people's photos of their children. He just loved ripping up your photos and trying to get a reaction out of you. So i done a Dr. fill on him and I said, um, mate, you, I'll, I'll just, I said, I, I know you. I said, I, mate, rip up my kids and my photos. It doesn't bother me, mate. I just want you to know you're not getting a reaction. You want me to hit you so you can get a compensation claim. It ain't happening. I said, but you know, you go home and I said, you go up your driveway and your wife sees you coming and she dreads you, you know, she she can't copy. You. The only thing she reason why she, she does copy you is you're a breadwinner. Kids see you coming, they walk off on their own, put their headphones on and jump into a computer game or whatever because they can't cop you. The dog hates you. He goes under the house. You grab the remote control and hog the TV. Don't wash up after yourself and get up and do it all again like Groundhog Day, you know? And I said, but then one day, mate, you turn up and they're gone. Family, the car's gone, they're packed. They've gone to live with the sister in fucking Queensland. I said, because no one likes you, mate. Because you can't differentiate. You can't be a horrible person here all day and then go home and be a nice person. Us humans ain't built that way. And, uh, mm. and he, yeah, okay, Dr. Phil, about six weeks later, he comes up and he's got tears in his eyes. He goes, mate, everything you said was true. And, I, and he says, mate, how do I change? I said, start here by being decent. See, them ones that ain't decent are just traumatising already traumatised people. And, you know, what do you want to do that for? Where's the victory? In traumatizing with traumatized people, I think the big thing we've changed in rehabilitation is identifying trauma, showing people what trauma is about. Because, how can someone be remorseful to their victims when they've you know no empathy's ever been shown to them because they don't know what empathy is? Empathy is a learned thing.
0: Are mm-hmm.
1: oh, you you know you've done the wrong thing and you know you should feel bad about it. Why should I feel bad about it? I've had bad things done to me on a daily basis. Bad things happen. They don't seem to feel bad about it.
0: Hmm. It's um it's interesting too because from we we act like uh prison is supposed to be like rehabilitation. Mm. But from but the public, they say they want rehabilitation, but they a lot of the time they want retribution. If someone hurts them or their family, they just want they want retribution to the person, and which serves no purpose other than to make them feel a certain way for a certain amount of time yeah. but so but do you think do you think i guess the, the the second part is and the tricky part is how do you determine do you think there are people who who can't cannot be rehabilitated who are like too yeah, you know,
1: yeah i'm sure there is I, i'm a Ruby. martin
0: bryant maybe or you
1: know. yeah he, he's he's like uh, uh, Martin Bryant, but uh, a lot of the sex offenders, like how can you change someone's sexual preference? Like yeah. my sexual, I'm a heterosexual guy, I like a certain type of woman, you know, and a, a gay person is, is a heterosexual or a, a homosexual person, They like a lesbian is the, a lesbian and mm. like a certain type of woman. How can you change someone's sexual preference? Well, like, what, what do you do? Like, you, you can't yeah. make them read a book and you can't make them read a book. They're, the thing is, their sexual preference is children you know yeah. and you can't change them and i mean pff, mate, let's give me the bullets and fucking frame the gun and i'll sort it not a problem i've got man because then yeah. people because they create the next drug addict they create the next person with the propensity for violence they create the next self-harmer they create the next prostitute and they create the next dysfunctional so mm. but why and why the courts love them because they keep and they keep the wheels of justice turning don't they they create they create all those people so why would the courts get tough and give them these ma- massive and take them out of the game? The the courts mm-hmm. see the as the people who keep them in business. It's not silly, and you can't tell me they're not getting people. You can't tell me that they're, they're not getting like advisors telling them that. That man, I'm just a, a boy from our Drew that left school in fourteen. I can work it out. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's um it's hard one too because I think a lot of people don't like to see um. Attraction to children as like an orientation, where I think it it is. Mm. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but there there, there's a large there's a large group of people who fucking hate the fact that they are attracted to children. They've never abused. They never will abuse a a child, and they have this this thing that they want to remove, or at least Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's like I think you can go to the doctor and get. uh, you can take, like, medication that will, like, remove your sexual desires and things like mm. that. And they, they do things like that. Mm. So, so at the moment it's like, you know, the, the, there's people who are attracted to children and then there is, like, who are pedophiles, I guess, and then there's child abusers um, who are people who have acted I, out I'm, there. I'm a, big sexual...
1: thing. I'm, I, I'm a big... I'm, I just talked about this before. I, I think that people who view child porn are just as bad as the pedophiles themselves. You Know and, mm. and, and oh, yeah, there should, shouldn't be a charge of possession with child porn, it should be accessory before and after the fact. People wouldn't be making child porn if it wasn't for people wanting to watch it,
0: yeah. It's a, yeah, it's 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 horrible. It's um, and there's a victim in that always as well, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's um so when it comes to those like the, like child abusers um you know there's a famous story about um about like you know um, i don't know how true it is um but one of the one of the people uh uh mark brandon Tropper reed killed in prison was a um was a pedophile and the screws apparently let him in um because the pedophile was so vicious that he he cut a, a girl open with a with a jam tin because he couldn't essentially fit um and um this little girl he cut her open and killed her, raped yeah. and killed her. And um and the screws let him in and they 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 he confessed to it at the end of his life and he, you know, um and everything. Okay. Um but they um it's like does that person can that person ever be rehabilitated? Or if if they can't be, let's say they can be rehabilitated, let's say you can get them to be a functioning member of society is it worth the risk of ever letting them out into society so maybe they're rehabilitated but they're still not allowed out i don't at know risk,
1: at what risk i wouldn't want my children being around it I yeah you know what i mean i wouldn't want my children i just wouldn't want anyone should not just mine i just wouldn't want the suffering that goes with that sort of stuff and yeah. you know a journey like i don't want to see someone hooked on drugs as a, you know as a coping mechanism, and then. They go through the court system and then they get smashed up because they're, they're deemed to be this horrible person you know um mm. seems a bit unfair like you know when you when you you know when you know what's happened to you and you're going before the courts and they're telling you what a horrible vicious person you are and you must be punished you go, well what about the people who done who created all this rubbish you know
0: yeah yeah exactly um so in regards to rehabilitation, like what can some like, let's say you had a magic, magic um, ability to introduce some things into the current system, yeah. what would you suggest? Um, oh man,
1: look, I, I've got it. I've got. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to sell a uh, program, not not sell a program, promote a program. To now, it's called Rewind. So we go in and we ask some questions. The question is, what's the underlying issue of your uh, offending behavior? And you say, well, I'm a drug addict. Well, okay, what's the underlying issue of your drug addiction? Okay, it's trauma. Well, that's where we start. Well, this is where we lift the bonnet up and find out about the trauma. We work the trauma, out. we identify the trauma and what we can do with the trauma to address it. We address the trauma. The drug addiction after the trauma has been identified is a walk in the park. Because when hmm. you know why you use drugs and what the triggers are and everything like that, the addiction itself is like, okay, we've got this awareness. This is the underlying issue of the drug addiction. This is where that's the engine room of it. I know I, I know every cog in the engine and how it operates and everything like that. So I have a, an awareness of the engine of the trauma, and, and the engine of the drug addiction. And once we start, and so it all becomes, and we then we talk about you know the alternatives to drug addiction. So we're identified our feelings and we're, our triggers and, and what's going on. We have an awareness of why aren't my thoughts are like this and what's going on. You're in it. You've got the front row seat. It's like the dig screens in front of you and you can see it all playing out. So you address that, you do the drug addiction, and then you go, okay, well, what's lacking in your life? Okay, emotionally, because the abuse took apart from a young age or whatever, emotionally lack qualifications. So, um... Yeah, so we um we we address we you know we give some qualification. in Australia, there's a, a massive uh, 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 shortage of tradespeople, so we give them like you know mm-hmm. we work on the trade. So if someone's doing six years, we say, look, if you do a completed trade, we will let you out in four years as an incentive. Yeah. So they address their trauma they address their drug addiction and they get out with some qualifications that allow them to be productive members of society. It's not fucking, this shit ain't rocket science. You know, mm-hmm. and, and we we'll talk about like right now, we've like a few years ago, the, there was a $474 million budget to address the drug ice and it all went to policing. Now, I'm telling you, I'm here at Piermont, right, in Sydney. I reckon within two kilometres of here, I could score ice 10 times. So... The 474 million was a waste of money because it went to policing, right? But imagine if we use that 474 million to get prisoners out of jails that were heavily.
0: Oh, uh, looks like we may have just lost Russell.
1: Yeah, I'm, yeah, sorry, oh, someone, someone was trying to ring me.
0: So imagine oh, that okay. we use
1: that money to get people out now, these guys turn up from prison in a prison van in handcuffs and they walk into classrooms and tell kids why they shouldn't use mm-hmm. ice you know yeah that's is, what is I think um, that's more effective i think way more effective because the, the policing things are shit. the war on drugs who on earth is stupid enough to believe that they're ever gonna win that
0: yeah why well mean? it can never it can never be yeah it's yeah um that's I think that's the whole the whole point of the war on terror, the war on drugs, it's all the same. It's like the things that can't be won. So you can just, just chalk it in. In, in Australia, we yeah. got
1: the assistant commission of the biggest crime commission. Crime commission here was
0: uh, the biggest policing,
1: uh, the most powerful policing. The second in charge of the crime commission got pinched for important precursors to make ice.
0: Geez, <laughs> I didn't know that. Mark's crazy.
1: Yeah. It's there, like, where does it stop? Like,
0: it. I've got a question for you. How do you feel about the decriminalisation of drug use? 100%.
1: Really? 100%. Look in Portugal where they decriminalised drugs completely, the crime rate dropped by 60%. Drug drug use dropped by about 30% in two years, so the drug use itself. Like, tell me this, right? Uh, uh, um, Tell me this, right? What's the difference between heroin and alcohol? One's legal and one's not. Yeah?
0: Yeah, I think it, even if you look at the the index on like how harmful they are for society, they're actually pretty comparable for both 100 They
1: are percent But the but you've got this big nastiness hanging over heroin because it doesn't fit the bill. Like people you well, you you, you say, Oh, someone uses heroin, oh then it's like the big the big antichrist sort of stuff. But if someone drinks a few beers, he's all right. I'll tell you something now. Someone doesn't have a shot of heroin and go home and beat their fucking wife up. I'll tell you that. You can have a beers. That's true. Yeah, go home. And have, like you might go home and nod off and fall asleep in front of the TV on the heroin, but you're not going to do that. So, look at the end of the day. Look, not if we if we legalized heroin, not everyone's going to be. It's not like not everyone drinks. And I could tell you the thought of like heroin doesn't sort of have that appeal. Like, imagine if we legalized it, right? I'm telling Mm. you, not everyone's going to use it. Not everyone's even going to try it because it looks scary. At least it's,
0: at least you know what you're getting as well. Like, even for people who do want to use it, they can get safe needles. They can get safe, you know, not not advocating for people to use it, but at least in that, that way.
1: But I reckon, I reckon less people would use it if it was, it was, it was. Not a lot, not everyone, not everyone would. It's just, you're taking away that criminal thing, so you, they, they're not having to engage in, in crime to get it. They can go down to the chemist and get it. The tricky yeah. one would be ice. The tricky one for me would be ice and amphetamine because, um, man, that, that stuff is fucking a, a, an immediate dose of insanity.
0: Yeah, have you ever, have you ever um, I've taken... I've used that. Yeah, I've used You've that. used ice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, got is, a
1: pre- how- I've got a predisposition for mental health issues, right? And yep. some people can be on ice for three days and not sleep. If I have ice an hour later, I'm going to be in a mental institution. I just, yeah, I'm just, right. I'm just allergic to it. Yeah, I'm really badly allergic to it. it just doesn't work for me, and I think I may be borderline bipolar or schizophrenic or something like that. And it just amplifies it. It brings it right out. Brings it right to the surface, and
0: no. yeah there's um i've got the this the graph that i was talking about before up you might not be able to see it on your phone but i've got it here so yeah. for dependency potential heroin is on the very high line um but alcohol is actually not much further down um down from that and it's also mm-hmm. towards the lethal dose so when it comes to like um you know marijuana marijuana is like moderately low um mm-hmm. For de- dependency and you know it's uh, lethal dose, but he- um alcohol and heroin are up. <laughs> back on your right hand side of this graph here. Uh, yeah, it's actually quite interesting. Caffeine's in the middle, which is
1: wow. weird,
0: but, I but love um
1: it, man. I'll tell you, I can't live without coffee.
0: <laughs> yeah, have you have you become like a swap a swap a bitch for the bitch, but with a coffee? coffee yeah, yeah. A co- yeah.
1: Well, I have gotta have two triple shots every day back to back. <laughs> and
0: uh, <laughs> that's awesome.
1: Yeah. I've got to have them back to back. I've got to have a hard starter, and um, but you know what? The sad part about it is, you know, you know, like, look, I, I went to a party once, and and all these, all, all the boy, all the kids were smoking pot, right? And this kid turned up, and his mother dropped him off. He was a child actor, and he was one of those kids that was like he had real hands-on parents, right? So he was highly, uh, he was a highly validated kid. He knew his part in the family unit. He knew his part in society from a young age. He felt really good about himself. And I remember one of the boys going to him, Oh, mate, you want to have a smoke pot? He goes, What boy? He goes, He goes, I'll make you feel good. He goes, i don't really feel good. He goes, and he goes, Oh, you'll be one of the boys. He goes, Oh, for me, I've got a smoke pot to be one of the boys. I don't want to be one of the boys if I've got to do that shit to myself, you know? And I thought, Fuck mm. it. Just a really well rounded kid. And it all stuck with me. And I sort of looked at that kid's life because he was a child actor. He never went on to be fucking Mel Gibson. But I, I, I dare say that kid had a really good understanding of who he was. And I think that was really, really good pairing on whatever they've done to that kid. Like they, they raised that kid really well to sort of understand, man, you don't have to be part of anything like to, you know, you're fucking wonderful, you're beautiful. He was a validated human being, that kid. Like he knew he mm-hmm. was, he knew his place in society. And I think, you know, a lot of that is lacking. I think parents these days get too busy with work and careers and everything like that, and they take the hand off the wheel, you know?
0: Yeah. And I, it's not I, their I,
1: fault. I, like, people are going to make an earn.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's like victims create victims, and everyone's a victim that to something, I guess. People. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's, I remember specifically, I had a friend, um, and uh, he, you know, I I, I wasn't drinking or, or taking drugs or anything at the time. I was like sober. I've been sober for like twelve months. Um, because the way I grew up, I, I I thought you either did it all the time or you didn't, or you did it kind of, um, you know, or you didn't do it at all. Uh, yeah. And I, I always, you know, I, I'm someone now who I can have the occasional drink. I know I don't. I know I'm not like some of my relatives who have got that that thing in their brain where they can't stop. But something that really hit me with this person this friend of mine is they would smoke weed a lot um and then they're like oh got to study for an exam and then they would not smoke weed f- or drink alcohol for two months because they got what? to st- work on uni and mm. i'm going how do you just switch it? like to me that would be like oh. and he's like he's like he's like yeah well he's like um or you know he'd t- he'd, he'd go to smoke weed or or, or drink or whatever and he's like oh um, he's like, don't really need it tonight. I'm not, not really feeling. It. I'm just gonna, you know, I want to get up early t- for a surf tomorrow morning, or I, I, I'm going. Tr- I'm starting to train more, my running. So, and it was just, he, he had this relationship with the drug and alcohol that was super balanced, and I'd never seen that in my life. Very um, rare, very rare. Uh, and I think that it, it reminded me of that that guy you just mentioned that you know the the actor, the child actor, because it's like, it, it it's this it's this relationship of like. Just because everyone else is doing you don't need to do it. Uh, if you mm. can get away with, you know, having a drink and not being an alcoholic, fantastic, great. You know, even have a couple of drinks, fine. No, it's, it's all good. But mm. um, there are some people who can't do that. And then secondly, the, there's, it's all about balance. If you can do that, you've still got to have balance. You can get stuck where you're yeah. drinking too much or it's robbing you. And that's with anything, eating too much. I eat too much. I'm overweight. I'm trying to lose a bit of weight. I can see your... Yeah. I, I imagine you're, are you a gym junkie as well? Yeah, I'm like yeah, trying yeah. i I'll train yeah. every,
1: day. I'll train every day, but that's part <laughs> yeah. of my mental health routine. But there's a singer called Paul Kelly, an Australian singer called Paul Kelly. He was a heroin user, but just socially, you know, um, he was a social heroin user. Like, and and he he talks about his creativity when he was on it or coming off it or, or whatever. Like, like he just said he just never let it get a hold of him. You know, I know people, I I know. You know, I knew this really big drug importer and I was in jail with him. And one day I I I, I, suspected, I said, Mate, have you have you had a shot? And he starts laughing his head off. He goes, Yeah, I have one now. Mate. And he goes, I've Done it my whole life. And he goes, mate, I might have one every six months. And he said, I like it.
0: Yeah. That, that's the um I, I know people who smoke cigarettes like that. They'll have a cigarette every like, have a we'll have one cigarette. Yeah. Have and I when i <laughs> You should go because well, I, I used to smoke, but when I when I started smoking, it was like that's it. I'm I'm smoking like, and I was on white. I was smoking white ox, and like mm-hmm. I, don't, I just can't can't get the idea of that with with smoking anyway. Yeah,
1: I've um, never tried a cigarette in my life. I my dad died of emphysema when I was a young age, and man, um, I just didn't appeal. And I thought, fuck, I ain't going out that way.
0: Yeah, it looks it, it looks horrible. Yeah, emphysema.
1: You know, and it was funny with alcohol with my. I remember when I was about 14, I remember having a drink and my and my parents said, don't drink out in the street, just drink in the backyard so we can keep an eye on you, don't hurt yourself. Yeah. I took this carton the two streets, his stops, and I got, oh, fucking!" And my dad waved a bottle of scotch and, and I had a couple of sips, sc- and I vomited the next day. And the next day he came with a bottle of scotch and said, Do you want to go again? And I was that sick. I've never drank scotch since and I was never a really big drinker, you know.
0: Yeah, right. I
1: was never a real okay. big drinker.
0: You, unfortunately, you can't do that with heroin or um, yeah. give <laughs> too much heroin
1: yeah. A big shot of heroin in Sydney, and say, hey, man, have another one the next day, and i wouldn't have taken it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's yeah, it's crazy. I, I'd love to see the and I, 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 I um, I've, I've done a bit of work. I'm doing a bit of work at the moment with an ex, uh, a cop called Keith Banks, and Keith Banks has won a medal, like uh, two bravery medals, as a cop and he's a big supporter of decriminal he was an undercover cop in the drug squad and he's a big believer in decriminalizing drugs and and, and you know and and he, he's a big believer in that prisons don't work and and um, you know and I, don't, I recently done a podcast with him I'm going to do something with him in the new year and I'm pretty sure him and I'll get a few gigs together where he supports what I say you know decriminalizing them. you know there's a lot of people sitting in jail that fucking shouldn't be like like mm. We're nearly at that stage with pot, you know, we're a pubic care away from it being legalized. And, um, and, yeah, the uh, greens
0: look, were the, the greens that were pushing it through or something, they were like putting yeah. a lot of pressure on labor to get it and through. Look at Canberra,
1: look at Canberra, where all the politicians as legal down there, all the good stuff I mean, legal where the politicians live. The brothels yeah. are legal, the pot is legal. <laughs> yeah you know, as long as they're all right you know i don't give a shit about anyone else yeah and they got their bottles they can go to, they and smoke as much pot as they want and it's not a fucking issue you know what i mean
0: <laughs> yeah that's funny yeah. uh so the i, I want to get into so <laughs> there is a i hope it's a funny story i've heard you tell it in a funny way so um so I, i'd love to kind of hear it again but um but I'd love you to tell the audience about like you went on the run from the, the, yeah, the I escaped. I, uh, you escaped. Yeah.
1: How that, that happen? I went to court. I went to court at Camps in Sydney. And, um, look, we, we, we had some home, ca- uh, homemade handcuff. Keys, so we had our handcuffs when we come off a prison van and we'd done this little test in jail and we threw salt in people's eyes. And that just, when you threw a handful of salt in someone's eyes unexpectedly, the first thing they do is cover up. So we come off a van and we threw the salt in the copper's eyes and they covered up and they just give us that two seconds to run around them. And we run around them and we got, and we got, um, and we, and we got away. And, um, anyway, I, um, I was up in the Northern territory, which is the North of Australia, desolate place. And, um, I just robbed the bank and, uh, my co accused had been pinched at the airport. He'd been apprehended at the airport. Uh, jumping on the plane and I decided to go on a bus and uh, so I was on this bus anyway I was pulling up at um, a place called Alice Springs in the middle of Australia in the desert and um, anyway I, I, through the night I thought oh, well I better go incognito out here so I tried to dress up like a backpacker I bought an a Cubra hat with some corks very Australian <laughs> and, um, and I love Australia t-shirt and I bought a pair of secondhand hiking boots and I um, uh, and uh, I jumped off trying to look like the Swedish tourist. And um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, so I jumped off the bus and um, all these cops jumped all over me. And I'm saying, what are you doing? you bully!" And they're going, you're a Russell man. I'm saying, no, my name is Hans. I'm from Sweden. And I'm looking at this girl who was like Norwegian. And I'm saying, Helga, Helga, call I'm being attacked. I'm being bullied. And I'm saying, get off me, you bully. And they're looking at each other, these coppers. And they said, Oh, we've got a diplomatic incident going on here. We've got the wrong bloke. And um, and this old cop walks up, and his name was Love smith And he had a rolly cigarette in his mouth. He goes, Get a answer from Sweden. He goes, If you've got a tattoo on your back, if you haven't got a tattoo on your right shoulder blade, he said, I'll let you go. And he lifted it up and he goes, All right. Russell shows over. He went, a nice time, mate. You can nearly us. And um can nearly beat <laughs> Oh, and,
0: uh, can you imagine?
1: Oh, mate, they were, these cobbers were so relieved that it was actually me. You know?
0: <laughs> there was so. Oh, relieved. that's just to, yeah. just to, um, to to pull that off, to be so committed that you, you know, you put oh. on the voice and that it's just. Yeah,
1: I was giving it a go and, um, you know, God loves a try, so they say. And, um, you know, uh, uh and, and, you know, and, but, you know, I was sort of. off I went and you know and from there I spent eight years in jail from that day I went from that day to spending eight years in jail and that was the longest period of time I spent in one time one go and um, you know it was funny because I look at that and there's some parts of that I think really made me I was in a, a segregation unit when I say segregation I was in a cell on my own in a little yard for nine months straight When I say I spent 23 hours a day in a cell with absolutely nothing, not even a mattress. In jail in Darwin, them cells are like saunas. They're just so hot. You've got the sun pounding down on a concrete wall all day that's part of your cell. So you can imagine it's like being in a sauna and I went from 94 kilos to 72 kilos in in that period of time. And um, although I did have good abs as a result of it, um, um, but um, you know, wouldn't recommend I, it. No, I, don't have it. I don't re- I'd, yeah, because that's all I done was I done sort of yoga and sit ups and that for that nine months. But so, but uh, what? Sorry, t-
0: uh, this is blowing my mind. Twenty three hours a day, in yeah, one cell.
1: Yeah, in a little concrete, hot concrete box. But when I did get out, I was in a, an exercise yard that would have been no more than four meters long and two meters wide. So that was my exercise yard. And then, um, if I wanted to have a shower, the screws had to turn the hot water on from outside of the yard where the shower was, and it was often boiling hot. So I was bird bathing in the shower in the cell, like out of a bubbler, for nine months because I just really didn't want to give them the power to do something bad to me. And um,
0: so, yeah. was it like so in your cell? You didn't have a mattress?
1: No, I was on a concrete slab. I was on for- a concrete.
0: For
1: nine months nine months yeah I was on no nothing. pillow no blanket no pillow no blanket and you wouldn't you up there it was so hot you never you know you basically yeah, naked yeah. At the time for nine months had a pair of shorts that if a, an officer turned up you had to put a pair of shorts on but um yeah nine months and I, you know and, and i was subjected to a lot of violence like um they had like a riot squad who used to try to test how tough they were on me and and man, and man, and, and, look, and I, I, I was there with Bells and they initially come in. And they said, "Would you be willing to have a one-on-one fight?" One of on on the officers said, "Mate, with Bell, you're talking my language all day." And then um, I was punching on with these screws on a daily basis for five days a week. They give me the weekends off to recover and um, and heal. And that went on for a few months. And then one day, I just said, "I'm not doing this t- no more," because you see, you're getting more joy out of it than me, and I, I hate, I hated seeing them get any joy out of anything, and. Um, so yeah, I really, I don't know, it just give me this real steel resolve, you know, I don't recommend it because that sort of isolation is sort of no real good on your head because I used to go for like weeks on a time like doing this thing where I didn't think, like I'd just go completely blank and your mind's not built that way. Your mind—that That is so unhealthy for your mind and, um, you know, and um, yeah, I, I, I really, I don't know. Today I think I've got a lot of strength out of what I put myself through what i put mm. myself because you know at the end of the day i put myself through that not them like if i never committed those crimes i wouldn't have been in a position for them to be able to do that to me i'm just going to have to move this move this respect because I'm, my phone's going to go i've just got a good spot
0: yeah no problem or i'm not just
1: getting the around. um yeah so um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's the way it, you, you know, it's one of those things how I come to the realization, I come to the realization whilst I was in that unit, like I come to the realization that I was the one who created that hell yeah. and, and I had to sort of think to myself, you know, how do I stop this? And first thing I had to do was sort of say, can't use drugs anymore. And, um, and I stopped, you know. I, I come out of when I came out of there into a normal unit, I was like nine months clean, and it was a really good platform to get clean. I ended up going on to being 12 and a half years clean, and uh, but it built something in me, it built something in me that I think I still have today. You know, not much can rattle me. Look, I oh, look, I still suffer from depression, and um, you know, and I, and I really the last week has been a real battle for me. Like, you know, I've got some a few things are going on in my personal life and um, but it's been a real battle for me. But I hang in there and I don't pick up drugs and I, because I know drugs and drinking, like I'm here now and there's little mini bars, got champagne and all different types of beer. I won't, won't even, a thought even won't even go into that because I know it's not the answer for me. I, I just know that healthy alternatives like training, uh, reading a book, diverting my mind from those thoughts that depression and and that sort of thing is the answer. I just I just I'm adamant these days about drugs and alcohol. Mm.
0: How did how did drugs get into prison? I've always oh, been perplexed it's by so, that. so lucrative
1: for prison officers. Like you know, you go to a car park of a prison and a prison mate, you see the one who's smuggling. The one who's got the best car is the biggest smuggler in the jail. If he's got a oh, hundred. $100,000 car, mate, you know he's having a smuggler. that bloke's got three investment properties, he's a smuggler. You yeah, know. right. That's very lucrative for prisoners. But in saying that, right, the most common used drug in prison these days is called bupamorphine, right? It's a heroin substitute and it comes in a plastic, like a plastic dissolvable strip. One of them at a chemist is worth $2.50. In prison, it's worth $800. You know, or up to two thousand dollars. So when an officer gets a hundred of them, mate, there's a hundred thousand dollars he can make of a hundred dollar investment or two hundred dollar investment. Interesting. Now, and, that, and that he'd have no problem selling them. He'd have he'd have someone who'd just buy the lot, and because if you've if you've got all the butte, you control the jail, you know. Mm. You control. If you've got the drugs, you control the jail. Well, you control all the soldiers.
0: Right. Is and there a uh, lot? Is, is there a yeah. lot of racism in Australian jails?
1: Very rampant, rampant. Perpetrate. And the biggest uh, racist of all are the prison officers themselves. You know. Really. Yeah. How we how we treat our indigenous in, in these in our prison systems just really rotten. It's it's disgusting. And and if people. In the public could see the lamps they go to, and you know it's it's, it's disgusting. It's really disgusting. It's something that man, I like. If I if I grew up with Indigenous brothers and sisters out at Mount Druitt where I grew up, man, never ever for one second have I had a racist thought in my body, and and um, just disgusting what I'd seen prison officers do, like and how they. Like there's no doubt. There's, there's been cases, high profile cases here. And I could think of the case of Dungay where they just murdered him. They murdered him and got away with it. You know. They murdered him and, and got that's that's crazy.
0: It's uh I'm glad you said that. There's a lot of um something I've noticed um about Indigenous Australia is I know hardly anything about Indigenous Australia and you know, this was their country before the English come and until we come and took it over you know and it's like it, it blows my mind how much you know they were here for forty thousand years mm. you know and it's like and it's just just the way that they're i guess perceived and like the, how little i know and how little like the average person knows about yeah. about their culture the you know just it, it makes me it makes me kind of take a long hard look at myself and then yeah yeah you know, it's
1: culture man It's beautiful I interviewed a guy called Joey Williams and Joey Williams is an indigenous guy and he's got it on that program called The Enemy Within. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, man, like, And one of my favorite books is um, Raising Boys by Steve Buildup and Manhood by Steve Buildup. And Steve, it's all about like how boys grow up and how men are raised and, and, and all through it he quotes the Aboriginal culture, across Indigenous culture about the old elder system and how they raised boys. Like they didn't use psychologists; they all were psychologists, and 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 their their communities were all about accountability. And um, and you know they were just great. Uh, I don't know; they were great parents. Like there the, was never a mother and a father. The whole it took. I it was a village that raised. Yeah,
0: raised by yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I have recently gone through IVF. We're having our first um, baby, and we're right looking child. for stuff. Thank you. Um, right. We're looking for stuff to decorate the room with, and um, I found I found this, which blew my mind. I actually ordered it. It's um, it's a map of um, the languages and people of the First Nations of Australia. Beautiful. I'm not sure if you can. I'm not sure if you can see that there, but there there's so so much that, like, I'll, I'll zoom in. Yeah, um, where you you're down near Sydney, That's mm. this area. Yeah. So like, there's so many like cultures and groups that you know yeah. that I, I I have no idea what you know what what history, what culture these groups and these nations and these languages had. Yeah. Like, it's just um, it's 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 amazing. So, gonna stick it on the wall. Yeah, raise raise the kids right. You know, show yeah. them, show them kind of the the history of our beautiful country um mm. and, and as a first step to learning more about
1: about that oh man i got um, i've done jail at Alice springs and I, I had an incident there and um there's a guy like they got the elders there right and this bloke spilt some tea on an old elder and it was a white fellow and he didn't apologize and it was only me and him there me and him the white fellow there and i'm pretty sure that guy was a sex offender this white guy and I said, go and apologise to the old fellow. And he said, no, no. And he made some racial slur. I said, go and apologise to him or, or there's going to be drama between me and you. And he rolled the dice and said, oh, well, there'll be drama between me and you. Well, I told the old fella, I said, don't worry about him. I said, I'll take care of that. I said, I'll sort it out. And I said, come around, go around to the laundry after lunch. And I said, I'll sort, so I called that bloke around and, and he's come around. And I'll, I'll fucking give him a cup. I punched him up a bit and, and they loved it they loved that I respected them enough to make that bloke accountable. And, um, they loved mm. it. it just really took me in and welcomed me into their, into their, um, in, in, into their community. And, and I learned so much from them beautiful people. And I learned so much about life. And I, 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 I just admired their simplicity. The most important thing to them people is community, you know, is community mm. and, and family. And, and that's the most important gift in that. Mate, they don't want Ferraris. They don't want mansions or big fucking boats. They just want each other, you know? Yeah. What a better gift. Like, why, why not be like that? Why not? Instead of looking down from these people, let's learn from them. They've got so much knowledge, man. Like, there's so much, and they're just not listening to it. sad. It's really fucking sad because I'm telling you, they're more way, more way advanced than the white men will ever be.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember reading Captain Cook's book, which is a fantastic book, and uh, they mentioned, you know, they they went to a bunch of islands and met locals and you know, things mm. like that. But when they came to Australia, they gave, they tried to do the same things that they did to other nations. They gave them like mm. nails, um, hankies, like things like that, mm. clothes, and the Aboriginal people were kind of like, like, okay, they didn't they didn't care about it as much as like they have a very very different perspective of the world it's a it's a co-mingling not a not a materialistic ownership idea and and it's beautiful. um it's yeah I, I thought, yeah, That's yeah. A you can you, you can learn a lot a lot from that
1: um yeah. but um and from alice springs i ended up back in new south wales i went to to court for the escape and a few armed robberies and uh, I got sentenced to 15 years with an old parole period of 8 years and um, so end ended up getting out after 8 years and, and um, you know with no intentions of ever getting into trouble again and um, I met a girl and I had a couple of kids and we established a, a marketing and advertising business and life was good you know. I, I went made one overseas trip I bought a house right at the beach in Carumba and I always Wanted to have children, but I always wanted them to grow up around the beach and because uh, I thought, you know, where I grew up, there's no beaches and I thought, you know, it'd be an idyllic life. But I hadn't dealt with the underlying issue for my, and that underlying issue was kept, I was like a band-aids on a fucking cancer. So I, I, I um, and the underlying issue was the abuse itself and I never dealt with it and it was always going to come back and haunt me sooner or later. And that's when the drinking started and the drug use started. And then I went back on a 10 year tra- trajectory of crime and, and that. And then um, then the Royal Commission Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse come about, which Julia Gillard, the Prime Minister Julia Gillard initiated, and it changed my life. I um, I told my story to the Royal Commission and, and I got the Trauma counts and that, man, that was, that was so easy. It was so easy. That's all you had to do 20 years ago. I'm sure things would have been different a lot earlier. And, um, so I done like four or five years of trauma counselling, but there's a lot of things involved in that. Like when you're in prison, you've got two telephones in the one yard, and there's sixty people in the yard. So everyone knows what everyone's talking about. They'll know David's kids kicked two goals at the football, or whatever, or whatever. And, and anyway, so I was on the phone talking to the Royal Commission about Royal Commission institutional responses and uh, about what had happened to me, and. I know a couple of young blokes were suspect thinking I was up to no good. They thought I was talking to police or I was up to no good. So I had to call a yard meeting and I had to get 60 blokes together and I had to tell them what I was talking about on the phone. I said, look, I'm not talking to the police. I'm talking about the abuse that happened to me as a child. And, um, you know, and I was sort of forced to talk about that. And um, you know what? I'm so glad it happened because it really strengthened me. I just went after that talk. It was like I could tell this to the world. It wouldn't bother me because <laughs> yeah, it didn't hurt me. And um, and um, and a lot of blokes come forward and told me their stories. And that's where the voice of the survivor was born from that incident alone. And I thought, here we go. I will tell my story, and everyone else is going to tell theirs as well. So, um, you know, it was amazing. It was amazing what happened. It was just so amazing. And then. Um, you know and i had before i left prison 65 people told me their story and i referred them onto lawyers and and that's when the voice of a survivor was born i just realized i had this gift that people felt comfortable talking about their stories of abuse to me and um you know and today i've got 16,000 clients i employ you know 21 people i work with 39 different authors nationally and i'm doing some amazing stuff and um you know um and I love what I do. I, I I get to meet new and amazing people. I've done mate, some and friends with like some of the richest businessmen in Australia. Some of the most famous sports people. I've even made friends with homicide squad detectives. And you know you know it's, it just amazes me where this journey's taken me. Like in I'd done a psych report once, and a psych he said you've got a million to one shot of turning your life around. And he said a million to one shot, and I went yeah. Or see about that. And I love proving people wrong. And uh, that side yeah. mind. yeah. He's a mate of mine. That's mate. awesome. Yeah. He, he was on my Australian, well, I was on ABC's Australian Story this year. And he said, mate, I didn't think he could do it. And he did it.
0: You know, um, imagine if, uh, imagine if he said, oh, you'll be all right, mate. Everything's going to be all right. And you're like, yeah. And then like, maybe it's like, did that like start a fire under you? Do you think maybe a little bit? Yeah, I
1: like it when I get underestimated. I'll do
0: it. Yeah.
1: I like to be underestimated. Anything I've ever done, I like. You know, I, when I play sport, I like to be. I jump on the team that's got the less chance of winning because because <laughs> yeah. ch- I like the challenge of fucking of winning against the superstars. I've always been that type of guy. That just went. I'm going to go where the biggest challenge is. I'm not going to go where it's going to be easy. I like it when it's hard. And um, yeah, that that he waved that flag at me, about a million to one shot. I don't know if he done it. Like I, I just maybe subliminally, I, I took it on that way, but um, it's really good to be where I am today. Like it's really good to be getting invited back to prisons and asked, from my point of view, how did I do it? What's the blueprint you have getting invited to boys' homes to talk to gangs and stuff like that because my opinion and my way of doing things is valued.
0: Hmm. I, I feel like a lot of people in, in the prison system would you know, would be able to. They, they can see that you're not like just a typical, um, you know, like they'll listen to you. You know what I mean?
1: Hundred percent lived experience and um, yeah, big change going on in New South Wales where uh, Labor politician Tanya Plibersek, her husband um, has done jail. He's done three years for import. And he's a big senior advisor to corrective services these days and, and he wants people like me in prison in, in there talking to that and 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 to be quite honest they respond to me like you could walk in there with hundred and fifty five degrees I'm not gonna listen to you. but I walk in with my degrees I've done 23 years in prison I'm one of you I speak your language I know what you're going through but I'll tell you what I've got the blueprint how not to do it anymore so if you want my blueprint I'm gonna give it to you for free but what you got to do is listen and take it on board and, um, mm. and I give it to, I give it away free, man. I talk about my story 20 times a day, you know, and, uh, you know, and I talk about, um, at the moment I'm talking about my mental health journey. If I'm feeling, I'll do it, uh, a mood check, you know, I'm not feeling too good today. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do this. And this is going to be the attitude I'm going to do to snap out of this bad mood or in this depression or whatever. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I try to show people that the alternative to, to picking up drugs, to, to self-medicate or, or to, you know, to, to get around that feeling.
0: Do you find it easy to, to, um, to switch off? Oh, like, struggle. You...
1: Yeah. I, I, I started work a couple of weeks ago. I started work at oh, three o'clock in the morning, right? Cause I had to go to the airport. I wanted to train. So I trained before I go to the airport. That takes So at four o'clock dress, going to the airport, flying to Sydney, jump in a podcast with, say, Gary Jubilant. And from another one, i go over the other side of town and do one of my own, then come back to the motel and then do a, uh, a, you know, like a live stream into America where I'm talking to whatever, 8,000 people or whatever. And I finish work at 12.30 at night. And my girl, she's fast asleep. And and I'm in bed trying to get to sleep, and I can't I'm that wound up, you know. Yeah. and I wear people out, I wear people out because no one's got my energy. And uh, they just don't stay with me for too long. And you know what? I've got a dream and, and often often people around you don't see your dream and they don't see your vision. And they just wonder what 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 are you chasing ghosts or what is it? But then they see it starting to come to fruition and they go, Ah, oh, we get it now, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's uh that's like a, a big problem with anyone in like a creator space you know whether you're writing a book or starting a business or yeah. you know creating something in the world I think that's always it's usually the case because people with a distinct vision of, about something they uh it's hard for other people to see it otherwise it'd be done already um percent and that's what that's me I mean, I get these like through my PTSD, I,
1: I I'll, I'll on average I'll, I'll go to sleep at 10 I'll wake up at Two right, so I'm sleep for four hours. I wake up from two to four, and that's when I'm at my creative best, and that's where I want to. Um, it's peaceful. Um, my head is clear. I I'm at really at peace. My breath, everything is just perfect. And um, and it's really hard when you're in a relationship because your girl wants to roll over and cuddle you, and you're not there, <laughs> or whatever. And, yeah. they don't, it, and you know, if you're living in a small place, well there's not much room to go to other than the bedroom. And um, often that's been a problem. Like I have partners that struggle with how my nocturnal habits and um, uh, like to get up and, and, and get an, like, like, you know, I've got another place where I've got an office and, and she'll sit a light on there and she'll just, well, why can't you sleep? i I love it. I love the peace and tranquility of this time of the morning. There's no white noise. Yeah. There's not enough. And I just love it. I feel good and I like doing this. I don't want to take medication to stop me from doing this because this is when I'm at my best. Yeah. yeah. And um, I don't like anything. Like, I'm not on antidepressants. And, and man, I understand people who are because I've been on them. And I need, when I was on them, I really fucking needed them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't take that away. You know, if you need medication, you know, take as advised and um, as directed or whatever. I, I just, um, you know, I've found different ways through you know, through obviously uh uh really intense exercise. Uh you know, I get that antidepressant that I need cause my body releases serotonin and dopamine when I'm when I'm pushing myself as are in uh you know, antidepressants. So I, I know how to get that stuff naturally. But um I don't want to be, I don't, I want to have a clear vision. I don't want my creativity to be, um, to, to be polluted mm-hmm. in any, any, any shape or form. Cause I love it. It's what makes me. Mean. And um, mm-hmm. people don't get that people, that relationship, I'd, I'd say like, I was in a relationship for four years with a girl who was a barrister and for, for with her, it was like, like, and I'd come home it was a cross examination, mate. You took 41 minutes and 18 seconds. That trip normally takes 37 minutes. What, what, where were you for the other four minutes? It's like, please stop. That accountability stuff. And, uh, oh,
0: right. Yeah.
1: That, that stuff's uh, good for me.
0: Yeah, that would have been. I, I've had friends who've been in relationships like that, that um, all like very jealous relationships. Yeah. And no, it's, good. And, no, it's not that's good. good.
1: Possessive. And that's another form of imprisonment for me. And I, I just. Mm. And I, I, I'm really, I, my, my triggers are today how people treat me. Like, I'm not in prison no more. So, you've got no right to talk to me like a skull. Like, I'll pull people up in the shop. If some, or someone's a bit abrupt with me, I'll say, hey, hey, excuse me, can you do me a favor? And I'm sort of a bit autistic in some ways. And I'll say, oh, I don't really like being spoken for that. Can you not do that?
0: And people
1: yeah. take a look at you. But that's just how I live my life these days. I'm not a, I'm not someone who's broken the law so you can take your shit out of me and punish me and treat me like shit. I have yep. a step which I like to be treated and I will not cop for anything less than that. And, you know, and, um, yep. and relationships, you know, some, you know, it can be in a partner and she can be a little bit abrupt. At the time, Hang on. Rewind the tapes. Hey, look, you don't need to talk. You want to get the best out of me. Talk to me in love. <laughs> but the best way to get the best out of me is you talk to me in love and man, oh, I'll fucking jump through the hoops for you.
0: Yeah. It's um communication is such a big thing. Just to circle back on, on what you said about um antidepressants um i i have a bit of a story about that myself where i was really bad, had really bad ocd um yeah. like diagnosed ocd and um anxiety and depression yeah. and i read up and i was scared to take antidepressants I, I was really scared i've been i prescribed the same one three times and i didn't take them three times on oh, the third time i eventually did but before i took them mm-hmm. i read a bunch of studies on diet and exercise and mm. i followed that regime like to a t mm. my depression almost vanished like i i felt i felt a chemical in my brain i remember coming back from climbing mount coulomb because we lived at mount coulomb yeah. i remember coming back and and laughing for the first time and, and feeling like a chem feeling something in my brain i hadn't felt for months um yeah. my depression was gone like my, my depression after a few weeks my depression was like on yeah. the mend um which was awesome from the exercise but my ocd got worse um and eventually i got on you know i got on um i took the antidepressant and i had a dry mouth for two weeks that was it like i didn't have any other symptoms except for the fact that my ocd went to like manageable level Mm. so i think it's like it's always it's always interesting because you you normally only hear the the negative side effects um of um of antidepressants and there are a lot of negative side effects so it's not right for a lot of people, but that there are that? some people where it's perfect for. <laughs> That's <laughs> that I'm one of them, at least. Yeah, yeah, and
1: it's been perfect for me at times too. Don't worry about that. Mm. I've got the right one. That um, I've got the right one that that um, that worked for me for a period of time, and then um, but just that. Oh man, I just don't want to be relying on anything.
0: Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I I, I know a lot of people who are. I was, um, I remember saying to my doctor that exact thing. I said, Oh, I'm, you know, I just don't want to be taking medication for my anxiety, my OCD. And he said, yeah. You already are. He said, You're medicating yourself with Valium. Like you're taking Valium every time you have a panic attack. You're taking it way more than you should be taking it. Hopefully, if we take, if we get you on like an, or you're coping with, you know, other things. Like I got friends who, they don't want to get on antidepressants, but they have to smoke weed every day, you know, to calm 100%. their, you know, and it's, and it's just like you 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 are medicated, you are yeah. relying on something. It just de- depends on what's healthier for you in the long in the long run, you know. 100%. Anyway, I um I did want to I did want to quickly just shout out um your podcast. So you have a podcast called this tick Up uh, yeah. with Russell Manso. It's on Apple Podcasts. Is it on like Spotify and everything else as well?
1: Apple and Spotify, yeah, yeah, 100%. yeah,
0: awesome.
1: iHeartRadio, Radio, I'm told. I just got told yesterday. So um, look at look, we've interviewed an array of different people from professional boxers to leading business people, politicians, uh, fellow criminal bank robbers. Um, who else? I, 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 you know, I've done. <laughs> um uh, brain surgeon dr charlie Teo last week uh underworld figure <laughs> in the Gatto man I've, I've interviewed some amazing people and and, and a lot of amazing people to come so um we've got erin brokovich locked in for next year um um awesome hopefully julia gillard former prime minister julia gillard said so, yeah I'm
0: no here. way that's that's so yeah. cool yeah um Oh, I'll have to check out that that, that episode for sure. I'll, I'll check out the others as well. But, yeah, people, make sure you go subscribe to the Stick Up. Um, there's also... Okay. There's a really good
1: one in there. Anyone wants to know about trauma? I've done a really good podcast with an Indigenous guy called Joey Williams. He's got a program called The Enemy Within. And, okay. And I, I, I fully recommend following Joey Williams on Instagram, Joey Williams, T-E-W, an amazing man. It's funny, Joey's okay. a funny guy because he, he was a former NRL footballer and uh boxer. And I said, Joey, what sort of media training? Because I really love how he talks and articulates. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I just love the way you talk and how it paused you. And he goes, mate, I've got a fucking concussion from rugby league. He goes, anyway, <laughs> stop him? He said, anyways, I'm paused. I've got to think what I'm about to say next. And like, just an amazing guy. But just... He really When you hear this, the podcast, I uh, uh, make you just you, people get blown away. They go, "Wow, that guy just articulated trauma so well."
0: I'll have to. I'll have to. I'm going to listen to this episode after after t- t- um, this episode yeah, is do. finished. Um, there's also that sounds really interesting. There's also Voice of a Survivor for people who um, who would reach out to you or or. or um... Uh,
1: anyone that's anyone that's look anyone's been a, a victim or slash survivor of institutional abuse, uh, physical or sexual abuse. What what an institution can be? It can be schools, private, Catholic, public, whatever. Churches of all denominations, uh, foster care, fat docs, any sporting groups, uh, after school care. Um, yeah, man, just a array array of things. Boys' homes, girls' homes. Anyone that's been affected by that, man. Don't hesitate to contact us, www.voiceofthesurvivor or even message me on Insta at Russell underscore Mansa or Russell underscore Mansa on TikTok, man. uh, I I, 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 I mean, I found my calling in life. I found it, you know, and and my calling in life was to help survivors of abuse and, you know, and I applied some passion to it. And, um, man, miracles happened,
0: you know. Yeah, awesome. And your TikTok is really good as well. Um, yeah. it keeps asking me to do this, but stupid verification thing, but your TikTok, you, you just have so many, like so many interesting videos, like, um, you know, chopper read, uh, you know, yeah. you're, you're giving thoughts on chopper read or you even do like the last bank robbery you did. You, 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 yeah. you walk in that area about, and you show everyone
1: about 835,000 views on that.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. It's crazy. Um, I've- also, I I would um, just wanted to for our people who may not know this is a podcast. The a Deep Drinks podcast is a podcast where we um we we drink the drink of the guest choice, and we have deep conversations. And coming up, we have um, Eli who who is escaped an Amish cult, and it's got murder, incest, um, child abuse, and he's he's now running an organi- or helping an organization um rescue children and um from these amish cults and then we have purity culture horror stories with the feral pastor's wife which will be really interesting she's a deconverted christian um talking about the kind of purity culture stuff that they went happened at church uh, happened with her at church so if that sounds interesting make sure you subscribe to this channel as well but um yeah i just thought i would uh I thought we could we, we could do some fun things. to Ask you a couple of quick questions. If that's cool, Russell, Before you go, uh, I I wanted to ask you about some famous criminals in in Australia and your thoughts on them. Um, yeah, let's go. Just 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 quickly. Chopper um, you know, Reed? Bit... <laughs> yeah, the okay, yeah. Let's good. let's start let's start with Chopper Reid. Did you ever meet no. Chopper Reid? You no, know I him
1: what do i know about chopper and i know people who do know him he had a, a great imagination and i love a person with a great imagination um i think it's to be uh celebrated um because it's definitely not not everyone's got a great imagination especially um crap police um but um he had a creative imagine i I'd look I, I i i you know i i, I just yeah he, he really colored it in well you
0: know i thought you like, think- do you think he was a lot of what he was saying was bullshit or? or? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> they, they,
1: the public wore it like a bad suit and um, people bought it and people bought his books and in particular, people bought his paintings. And like, yeah, <laughs> look, he made an earn out of it. Good luck to him. And you know, and in the end, he wasn't doing crime because he was making enough money uh, to support himself through fucking telling porky pies, you know? And um, yeah, good on him, good on him, man. You know?
0: I, so I look. Yeah. Is his movie, you know, the movie that was kind of based on his life, Chopper. Great film. I I, I love it. Oh great it,
1: film. Great
0: actor.
1: Great director.
0: Yeah. What do you what do you think about that? Like how is oh, that oh,
1: oh, oh, man I oh, man, I was sold. I loved it.
0: Is I mean, it is it bullshit or is it oh, or is
1: it oh, accurate? Of course of course it is. You like like mate, I'll tell you something now. If he killed as many people as he said he killed, I'm telling you that homicide would mate would be he would have he would have had bugs in his head, like you know, listening yeah. devices in his head. Like, look, and and I think the cop has seen it for what it was worth. Like, I mean, I, I I'm told that gang he was had a gang in prison called the Great Gay Grey Grey, Grey, Grey Cape Gang or something like. That. There's no doubt that they were a very hectic violent prison gang. But being a hectic pilot, uh, being a hectic uh, violent prison gang doesn't sort of come out here and, and transmit into a, a, a fucking, a big earning sort of mastermind mm. criminal. You know, there's the, the, the big mastermind criminals out here are people, like the biggest criminals we've got in this country. Um, for, the biggest criminal organization today in Australia is Hillsong Church, Daylight Second, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, I know the, uh, I know a lot of people from that church. Yeah. We were very, I used to be a youth pastor. We used to be affiliated, not directly, yeah. but I knew people from the band of the church. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, look, you know, you've got, I'll tell you in this in sense right? Brian Houston got accused of ch- covering up that child sex thing, right? Yeah, that that bloke gave evidence at the Royal Commission. That bloke had cancer. They waited 12 years. They hoped that bloke that he had so much political influence on his favor. They hoped that bloke was going to die. So we couldn't give evidence to him in a criminal trial. The bloke had some mm. miraculous crim, uh, cancer treatment and lived. So in the end, they had to charge him. Like they, like they went. Oh, they dragged it. We'll give it another year, and he might die off. But when you got a police commissioner and all these politicians that are belonging in a church, and the church is getting a forty-three million dollar grant whilst he was under investigation for that child abuse, come on, man, that's dodgy as shit. You know, it's not good. But
0: you know, I, I, I- remember, I remember when we, when I was involved in the church, uh, which was like two thousand nine. It was a long time ago, but the. We would, we would talk about Brian Houston um, firing his dad as like a good thing, like you know yeah. he he did the right thing. Hundred like, percent. Imagine imagine that firing your dad, but it's like, but when I look at it now, I'm like, hang on, why was he just fired? Why weren't the police involved at that early stage? Hundred percent. And and this happens all through all through religion. I've noticed is. When you, when you believe that the world is corrupt and your religious institution or your group is has the moral authority, why on earth, if you correct someone, why on earth would you go to someone you consider lesser, worldly, to get other correction? Like, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, you already see yourself as, like, a, a no. higher-up moral yeah. um, thing.
1: Look what the Catholic Church has done to religion. That's just... Mm. Like, people today go, well, like, that's a joke, isn't it? Like, you see a Catholic priest and you just automatically think pedophile.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You you do. They're
1: and I mean, and that's that's, that's, sad. Like, because, like, religion's a good thing. Like, it it can keep a lot of people grounded and and, and save a lot of lives. And I think it's a great thing. But when you become the devil within your actions, (laughs) through you know obviously through bad actions like that what who's going to be attracted to, to that
0: yeah the one one of the funniest debate topics i've seen online at the moment because everyone's obviously getting upset at um not everyone but like everyone's arguing at the moment about um about drag shows and bringing kids to drag shows and things like that and um and someone had the, the funniest debate topic i saw it on um TikTok and that is um kids are safer at a drag show than at any church and i was like that's (laughs) and i was like that's like factually true and i was like but it sounds so like i can see why it would it would bring him just the right type of people to debate it'd be so funny it's so funny um i've seen
1: seen that i've seen something about that you know i've seen an argument about it uh, but you know what the fact of the matter is true <laughs> like you would leave, alone. you'd leave your kid alone with a, a tranny because of can But you wouldn't leave. You're not guaranteed with a Catholic priest, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's um, it's 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 funny. It's it is funny how like the yeah. Catholic Church has just seen. So it's just so, it, you don't think like holy, holy, holy when you think of the Catholic Church. You think of like corruption and um, yeah, or at least not I don't anyway. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Carl Williams. Uh, obviously, the 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 uh, one of the stars of the hit show Underbelly. Look, uh,
1: uh, yeah, as it was like I, I I've, I've read in the last twelve months, I've become friends with Mick Gatto, and uh, so you're either Carlton Crew or you yeah or you Mick Gatto. i on the Carlton Crew side. I just think Mick Gatto and all of his team were all class, and I think they were the old school creams that lived by by the code, and uh, the code was you don't do anything to families or children, and and I think Carl proved his nastiness. I, I think he really proved his ruthlessness when he had those two guys killed in front of all those kids playing football, and I just think mm. that was taking things too far. Like, I just, no matter how much you hate him, you just don't traumatise children or women, and you leave, you, you, you have Mick Gatto's crew and I guarantee they live by that thing. You never do things in front of blokes families. You don't do things in front of women or children. And, and I think that's the step that went too far with all that. So, yeah. and I, I'm a, a, a man, I'm a big fan of Mick Gatto. I think he's one of the most decent human beings I've ever met in my life. Like, and there wouldn't be too many people, that would be better than Mick ghetto was a human being with kindness and generosity. And what I, what I do for my work, he's just put his hand out and he's just been so kind to me. So yeah, Carl Williams was ruthless and he, he lived that life. Didn't he? he? He lived in a violent way and he died in a violent way. It's what, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And, and he was proof that, you know, he was mm-hmm. proof that greed didn't serve him well. You know, his yeah. greed was a bad master. And, um, his greed was a bad master him killed and you know and, and to the end he was trying to cut deals to make his life easier so he you know so his kids and everything he was willing to, to inform on people and that's what got him killed or was yeah, right. taking a shortcut like he was doing deals with crime commissions about telling on coppers or something like corrupt coppers and that so in the end you know he, you know it, it just didn't pan out too well for him and but I've I done a post about it recently. Carl Williams was a tragedy. He was mm-hmm. a tragedy. He was just a walking, living uh, tragedy at the time. Like he killed off all these people over what? Like, you know, over a vendetta. And then, like, he was hurt that he'd been shot and embarrassed. So he started killing off all these people. And, you know, and he, he, he made a lot of fucking family sad. And in the his own family, like his daughter grows up an orphan, basically. That's, that's, that's a tragedy.
0: Yeah. And he's um he's only 39. Dead at 39. That's that's Crazy. pretty young. You know? Crazy. Um yeah, he's doing uh, that, 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 Yeah. Yeah, it's it's horrible. Um the so for the for our austral uh, for our non-australian audience, we had the largest mass shooting I think ever uh in in Australia uh and after that well, we ban- we banned guns. And um hey
1: yeah, yeah, in in the world, yeah, I think
0: that one of that was yeah, we that... was like thirty four people dead, Port Arthur massacre or something. Um, and after that, we banned guns and we haven't had a mass shooting since. Yeah. Um, not to turn this into an anti gun arc, but what he, but the person who persecuted that was who did that was Martin Bryant, and he's still alive, isn't he? Yeah, yeah.
1: Look, I, 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 it's funny because I done a post about him a few months ago, so. I've got a few friends that, um, have done jail with him down at Brisbane, the pink palace. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to know what he was about. And they said, I look, Mm -hmm. he lives in a, uh, um, uh, he, he lives in like a psychiatric unit where they're just full of medication and they call them window lickers because they're just fucking so medicated up and, um, they're so medicated up and, um, um, yeah, uh, uh, they're so medicated up and, um, you know, full of psych medication and they've got these things, they're called a depot shot and they, they, they shoot, they inject them in the ass once a month and it just fully contains and constrains them. And apparently he's on the depot shot. So, you know, oh, man, I, I put up that post and so many people said he didn't do it. So many people. Oh, fucking Yeah. 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 So many people say he didn't do it and all that. And uh, but you know, mate, it's—he's he, obviously a demented human being. He's obviously—he's oh, not a criminal mastermind. He's dead set—a fucking psychopath with no empathy. And like, hey, what do you do with someone like? What's the like? What's the purpose of it? Man, just fucking knock him.
0: Yeah. So I guess you're in favour of the death penalty then.
1: Um, I am with pedophiles, and yeah. I am. People like that, I, anyone that hurts women or children. Um, I'm not fans. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I just, it's a disease. I just, you know, I think that sort yeah. of thing. I, that's just my, and people go, Who are you to be so moral? You're a bank robber, you're a criminal. I just go, Oh, fucking, so what? I've, I've got rights, to thoughts, and things, and feelings. And I'm just, I think
0: been... that, no, I, I get what you're saying. I think the, the issue is, um, I've heard that there are people who confess. And are on death row who later find out they're innocent yeah so they confess for like because they were mentally ill or they or
1: but you look in america the states that have the murder uh, capital punishment have higher rates of murder than the not the states
0: that don't (laughs) it's just yeah well that would make sense right because if you're going to pull off a crime in which you could you know there's harsher penalties it's it's safer to kill someone yeah, 100%. And make sure you, yeah so I mean this whole this whole podcast we could we could talk about the 100%. justice system but uh yeah. last one uh Ivan Milat. Ivan Malat I spent a bit of time with Ivan
1: and um what I said really? I, bit, I was at, I was at Maitland prison with Ivan for about three months and um a little funny story I they were, like it had this little part this little like vegetable where you could grow vegetables and Ivan was in there one day with a little hand shovel Digging up this sort of garden bed because of, um, and, I, and, he, and I said to him, "You're digging up an old friend, Ivan," and he thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. And he, oh, and every time he sees me digging up an old friend, oh. And I, I must say this: Ivan was one of the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. I've ever met in my life. He always had a smile on his face. He was always positive, and you know, like, yeah, hey, good day, beautiful day outside. Yes, bloody beautiful. I think he was, he was just 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 steering typical purebreded psychopath but I know I've done a bit of research on Ivan and, and look and I, I and look uh, unfortunately Ivan's a product of the system Ivan went through um, the Tamworth boys home which there's a a, a um, ABC documentary it's called home for killers and it demonstrated that all these kids like Nettie Smith and all these really really bad serial killers that uh, that all, the common denominator on a lot of these real bad murderers was the Tamworth boys home and, and Grafton prison where these kids were brutalized as part of their punishment. So when kids, when you brutalize a kid, what happens is they desensitize and when they're desensitized, they lack empathy and compassion, which creates sociopathic traits. And um, And 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 I think I'm a big believer that I them was created. I really am. I just and I don't think much can talk me out of it. You know, uh, the the common denominator on a lot of these murders, that these really barbaric murders, was was a place where kids were brutalised. So, Mm. what do we what do we learn from that? At the moment, we're talking about doing it again.
0: Yeah, so Ivan lap he he was the backpack murderer m- murderers. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Bad man, Ivan. Very bad man. That's funny because I used to see him in prison and he had this big smile on his face, but when he was dying, that's the first time I sent him in a wheelchair, a picture of him in a wheelchair, and the smile was gone. His hair was really grey and I thought, Fucking, he knows he's gonna meet the devil that bloke Yeah. He knows he's going to a very dark place and um yeah, and uh, yeah, like what? I'm just—I've got a fascination about this brutalization of people. Like we 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 don't learn much from our past here in Australia. We're pretty thick, you know—slow learners, fast forgetters—and uh, we don't realize, you know, we. How do you how do you get the expectation? oh, we'll treat them like animals, and they'll come out and act like humans. That shit don't work, man. Yeah, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Theoretically, you know, theoretically, it doesn't even make sense. Like, we're going to change. It doesn't make. Choice. But it how, doesn't do make sense come, how do you say to someone, "I'm going to be violent to you to teach you to say the crime, you know, don't do crime"? I'm going to punch your face, and I'm going to perpetrate a shitload of violence on you to teach you you shouldn't do crime. I'm going to commit a crime against you to show you that you shouldn't do crime.
0: Yeah, it's 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 nuts. It's um, it's very nuts. And, but the and, redneck
1: and Australian him. loves it. Oh yeah, jump on his head, kick him in the nuts, do all this. The rednecks here, mate. These rednecks here in Australia—they're <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah,
0: that's why. Yeah, yeah. We're we're both from Queensland, and the further further you go, oh, well, the um, more. Yeah. Up the hills there. <laughs> Up in them hills
1: there, man. Oh. What what, what still about got um? Dangos.
0: Yeah. Well, what what are your thoughts on Ned Kelly? I don't know much like, about Ned Kelly myself, well, but he, obviously Kelly. he's an Australian icon. But but but, yeah. do you think he should be? Why? Like,
1: well, of course he should. Ned Kelly was actually a professional boxer and um, petty thief, petty thief, like just stealing shit from, uh, uh, just a petty thief. And and where he was triggered was a copper tried raping his sister, and he bashed the copper, and it just it, it just escalated into Ned Kelly. Uh...
0: Right, right. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't so know. I just escalated into yeah. that.
1: So the copper came in and thought he could take advantage of his sister. Ned bashed him, give him a because Ned was pretty handy. I think Ned had nineteen. He had a he had a boxing career back in the days of the bare knuckle, the the old square up bare knuckle fight. He was a he was a boxer. Ned Kelly he was a he was he's registered as a a, a boxer. Mm. Uh, so he beat the copper up, and then it just escalated from there, and the copper. Yeah, said he tried killing him or something like that and it just took off and escalated. But yeah, should sure, probably so. Oh, man. He, he said, but remember oh. this. What people here in Australia, we've got a short history memory about this was a, like, a, it, I'm not disrespecting my Indigenous brothers and sisters, but it was a, company, a country built on second chances, like from the convict days. Where mm. did we become so high and fucking mighty? Yeah. <laughs> we're looking down the nose at, you know, you know, criminals and going, man, we, we come from, uh, from, you know, convict stock, but we, yeah. we didn't get, we had all of that brainwashed out of us, like to believe, you oh, if you're a criminal, you're a piece of work, you're a rubbish. And man, where did that shit come from? We, you know, I, 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 mean, I love people that are, that are open minded and going, yeah, mate, just give them a second chance. Yeah progressives progressive progressives yeah. that are outside of that redneck mindset
0: <laughs> yeah um okay well that's that's fascinating so i i've got a, i've got a lot of people to I've, got to. I've got to listen to your podcast i'm going to, do, I'm going to look into ned kelly that sounds yeah. interesting i didn't know any about that um i we, we we spoke briefly before uh you jumped on now primarily this podcast we we talk about religion philosophy science um yeah. uh, lgbt issues things like that um yeah. we talked about religiosity um and so i was gonna so you're not religious yourself you believe in the universe uh,
1: i'm a universal type of guy, man. I've, I've got, man. i'll tell you what i've got too many good things happening to me so you yeah. know there's there's a higher power of, there's something i'm gonna have to mean, man. because yeah. all my mates say russell you're the type of guy you can throw your hand up a toilet and pull out a gold rolex they said you've just got something fucking hovering about you that you know like and, and and that type of i don't know there's something looking after me i know that like i've had some really funny things like when i've used drugs i've overdosed in houses where there's no one around and there's no phone and all of a sudden i'm in a, I'm in a hospital someone's yeah. rescued me. like i'm not meant i'm i'm meant to be here i've got this purpose and i think i'm I'm living my purpose right now, and, um, and and God, higher power, universe, whatever it is, has got me doing exactly what it wants me to be doing. And um, yeah. so, all I'm just going, man. I throw my hands up and go, mate. Let's do it your way, man. Because my way don't work, you know. And you still awesome. The ship. Yeah. So, so this
0: different. is. This, yeah. So I've got two questions around that. Um, yeah. Now, this isn't. This isn't in order to. This is just an order this is just something i ask every guest um yes, and course. it's just to, to analyze the underlying belief system so yeah. the first question is about the idea that the universe something's out something's looking after you what if anything would change your mind can your mind be changed on that
1: right if jesus came running up the
0: street
1: <laughs> <laughs> and said it was me
0: yeah
1: hey mate that, <laughs> mate, that... Mate, when you were a dude that time, it was me on the phone with the ambulance. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I like, look, I, 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 suffer, I don't have to, I don't have to see something to believe it. You know, yeah. But I've read the Bible two or three times, and, and 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 look, I'm not taking away, man. Good luck to the people who believe in that. But that's their gig, but it's not mine, and um, you know. And out of anything, you know? I, 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 I've seen a lot of my friends turn to Islam, and I just I get amazed at how peaceful they become. Mm. You know, I thought, and I've thought over the years, that, man, I, I, man, I'll, I, I've never read the Quran because, but it's, it looks like I don't know. It looks pretty peaceful to me, but um, I
0: don't know. The, the look, the, I've read both, um, as well as like a bunch of other religious texts. Um, the the Bible has some beautiful bits in it. It has some horrible bits in it. The Quran no, has some different bits. all the
1: boils? Job. Hey. What about Job? Mate, what about that God giving Job in the yeah. Old Testament all the boils? And I was thinking, far, mate. I'm staying away yeah. from you. Man. I'm not playing to
0: that God. I yeah. There's, you know, and there's like the, in the Bible, um, take the virgin girls for yourself. Kill all the boys, but take the virgin girls for yourself is <laughs> the commands by Moses or, or uh, slavery is okay.
1: And if that was in the Quran, they'd be going, all, all the fucking all the other fucking rednecks would be going. Oh,
0: yeah, there's there's a there's an interesting social experiment where someone put the cover of a Quran over the Bible and then went around and asked people in the streets like, "What do you think of this Quran verse?" I'm like, "That's disgusting," and they reveal, "Oh, it's the Bible," and they go, "Ah," oh, and they get like, "Cool, <laughs> it's in America," and they get all funny about it, but. But the Quran, I mean, the Quran has some. When I first read it, um, it's, it was a beautiful book. But there are something like it talks about beating your wife. Talks about yeah. like you know, this is what you do, beat your wife. <laughs> and the difference yeah. with the Quran than the um, then than other religious texts is the Quran is it says explicitly these are the exact words from God. Like in the Arama- a- a- Arabic, these are the exact words. Where the Bible just says that it's inspired by God. So. So when when it comes to things like, you know, if your wife does this, beat her with a rod, um <laughs> you know, when it says in I think it's uh, Quran 434, I think it is, could be wrong about that. Um, there's not a lot of wiggle room. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's not because these are like the exact the words. Gym
1: from got the... A slight tap on the bum. And, uh... Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's not it's not like you know, like, yeah, where so I guess that's that's the difference. But you know, I think yeah, there's beautiful stuff in that. There's beautiful stuff in the Bhagavad Gita as well, but yeah.
1: But I don't, I don't... um I done a Buddhism course in prison. Now I got so much peace out of that. Like far out. Like the meditative well, side of the Buddhism course was amazing.
0: Yeah, it tr- it really is, isn't it? Um, I'm I'm the same in that. I don't. I'm not a Buddhist or anything, but the mindfulness, the the, the the you know, the meditation is is incredible. Um, that's actually goes into my second question. What is the most plausibly true religion that you don't believe in? And this is something I ask everyone.
1: Plausibly true religion that we don't believe in. Um, that I don't believe in. I think Mary was telling a few lies about the a virgin,
0: but is that the most plausibly true one you don't believe in?
1: Oh, I, I, I don't look, I don't, I, 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 I just think, <laughs> no, 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 plausibly true. Let me explain, let me think about that. Ah, oh, man, uh, plausibly true. Um, Look, oh, I don't really have an answer to that. To be quite honest, I really don't. Yeah, that's um, all right. I really don't. I really don't have an answer to that. I couldn't give you one straight. It's something I'd have enough to think for a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, and that's and that's fine. And that's totally fine. Um, okay, well, I've got two. I've got two last questions that are that'll be definitely much easier for you to answer. Um, what advice would you give to someone who may be stuck in a life of crime but and feel like it's hopeless and they can't get out? What advice would you give to that person?
1: Well, it wouldn't be. It would be look. Rip up the bonnet of your car and find out what's wrong with your engine, and and dig deep because to make any change, you've got to dig deep. You've got to. There's got to be a brutality of your honesty. There's got to be. You've got to be brutally honest with yourself, and I think that's where the change takes place. Right? Is with that just being brutal. I'm a man. I I I have to say some things about myself today that I don't like. You know. And, um, is that that when I don't like things, I change them. You know, mm-hmm. I, that's what I do. If I don't like how something's going, whether it be in business in life or whatever, I just change. It. I go, well, well, how's that operating? And I, oh, well, let's try it a different way. You know, you've got to be really, really honest with yourself. If you're, mate, if you're in prison, you're doing twenty or thirty years. You're not there for being a good bloke. Mm. So what do you do? You change your things that fucking to get you there. You know. You change and a, a lot of people these people don't know any other way like there's blokes in jail now i was thinking about it today you know you get a, a 400 man jail and and you, they said we're going to open the gates and everyone can go there'd be 50 or 60 that wouldn't want to go mm. they're just going no i don't know what out there i just prefer the security and the and the, and the routine of this so you mm. know i just think, i think it starts off with a certain degree of honesty you know what i mean it's like man well, all right I'm the, I'm the fuck up here, I'm the one who's going to make the change. And um, the change is within you, it's not within everyone else. And don't blame everything else and don't point the finger. It's about, it's about, you know, about that honesty about, you know, that starts with that honesty. And that's what I had to do. I had to get really deeply honest with myself to change. And I was like, what are the things that are changed? And man, I, I was, all this guilt and shame and anger and, and embarrassment until I really embrace them and the resentment, you know, because the resentments, the resentments will rush the vessel they until I let go of my resentments, because the resentments were keeping me away from healing. And resentments are the opposite to love. You know, resentments are a form of hate. So why I had resentments, I had hate, and why I had hate, I didn't have love. And I you know, and I think allowing love into your life to heal and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. To be vulnerable, you've got to trust someone. So, you know, learning to trust someone and, to, and then from the process of being vulnerable and allowing love into your life and you're well on your way to changing.
0: Awesome. Well, this that actually might answer the last question as well, but maybe there's, there's a different approach. But say someone who may be watching this who's who's young still, they're like 15, 16, and they're, they're getting involved in drugs, um, drugs and alcohol, and they're worried that they might have that addictive personality um What would, if you're worried your about, it, you've
1: got it? You most if you're worried about it, you most probably got it right because there's something telling you that the handbrake's loose on the car, yeah, and that, that that's the handbrake that's gonna that's gonna stop you. So if you're worried about this it, possibility, uh, don't take that chance. Don't roll that dice because you know I, I I can remember when I started first using heroin, like on the outside of prison. I remember sitting with this couple going, going to get on, going to go and score. And I knew if I stayed with this couple, things were gonna get really bad, the heroin use was gonna get really bad, and I stayed. And um, if you're thinking about it, if you've got that mindset, man, trust your gut instinct, this ain't gonna be good, it's gonna be painful. Cause that the drug addiction and the crime cycle is extremely, mate. once it gets exposed into you, I'm telling you, it doesn't let go really easy. It doesn't let go, it's extremely hard to break that cycle. So before the cycle begins, step back, have a good look at it, investigate it, like do some research, go go to one of the jails, visit someone who's doing 50, 30 or 40 years, ask, them, was it worth it? I think, you know, I've talked about it before, one of the most underutilised resources we've got are prisoners themselves. Now, I think there'd be so many guys, like I talked to some pretty high-profile criminals. I had one of the most notorious criminals in Australia ring me a couple of days ago. And me and him talk about it, and he goes, man, I'd love to be involved in educating kids, you know. Kids are going to listen. Once they hear this bloke's name, or they're, you know, mate, the teachers are not explain who this guy is, man. They're, they're, the kids are going to be all ears. And if, to that kid who's contemplating that now, if that bloke comes along and tells his story to him, man, that kid's going, oh, I ain't going that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why aren't we using those resources? Because they work. You know yeah. they- and, and 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 that's a cl- that would be a classic example of a kid considering going down those line. I'll make walks in the classroom, with a set of handcuffs on, dressed in greens, a couple of teeth missing, fucking some dodgy tattoos, scars all over his face and head, and goes, man, this is how it ends. This is this is the look. This is what you end up looking like. And this is, you know, I've done twenty five years, haven't kissed a girl in twenty years or whatever or whatever. I haven't, you know, the only memories I've got are bad ones. Um, Man, I, I, I think that goes a long way to determine
0: that kid. Mm. And well, that that's actually a that's why I brought you on, Russell, is because I back you, back your story, and I back what you're doing. And that mm-hmm. is you're you're, you're you've 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 gone through rehabilitation, and you're now putting back into society. And I think that we need to do that. We need to we need to you know get that get a big mirror and shine it back at society going this is what this is what the what drugs and alcohol can do this is what crime can do this is what trauma can do we need to have open and honest conversations with each other with our families with ourselves is a huge one being honest is a huge one um and so i really appreciate you coming on to deep drinks and i know i know i'm a small podcast i mean you've been on some big shows and Mm -hmm. so i really appreciate you coming on and um, taking the time
1: I'll do more and I'll tell you you know I love it because I, I just love spreading this message because it's got to be heard and, and and you know and it makes a difference if one person here gets something out of it and we've achieved greatness.
0: Mm. Well I been. well I I I want to say thanks for coming on and I hope that um, we haven't used too much Aussie slang so that the American and the yeah. other the audience from around the world can understand what we're talking about but um but uh, I hope uh, everyone's enjoyed this episode. Make sure you go check out um, the Stick Up podcast um, and... and give me a follow I'll... on
1: Instagram, Russell underscore Manson, Any questions or anything like that? Man, I, I'm gonna, man, I
0: spend all
1: my Awesome. Question: Russell underscore Manson on Instagram, and then I've got questions. Man, I'll take them all day.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll I'll probably be there as well. So, um, Ooh. thanks for coming on, Russell, and thanks everyone for coming out and saying hello. I know it's not in the regular time slot. Um, but, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll, uh, will uh, get some more questions in the comments. So thanks everyone. And I'll talk to you guys later.